you have a Bible, you can open to Proverbs chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a few in the back. If you need one, you can go get one or raise your hand. Usher will get you one. So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1. We have a lot of work to do today, so go ahead and open up to that. Whenever, whenever we open up our Bibles, there's a, a guiding principle of how to read your Bible, how to study your Bible, that if we miss it, we'll miss the entire point of the Bible. And it's a, a principle that Jesus used even when he taught himself, as we have recorded. In John 5.39, Jesus said that all of the scriptures are about him. So whenever we open the Bible, the Bible is about Jesus. It's about God. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. In Luke 24, Jesus was teaching some people. And uh, basically, he said to them, um, or it says that he interpreted from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, from all the scriptures. And when a Jewish person heard the word scriptures, they knew that meant all the books of Moses, all the way through all the books of the prophets. And so he is saying that all the Old Testament is about him. The entire Bible is about him. And that's something we've got to realize every time we open our Bible or we're going to miss the point. So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1. The first verse says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And if we're going to have the mindset of looking through the lens of Jesus Christ at the Scriptures, I hope a couple things pop right out to you about this verse. It might be a verse that we skip over, we kind of gloss over it thinking, well, this is... a just an introduction. This is telling me who is writing the book. But in reality, if you look at it, Solomon is described as the son of David and the king of Israel. Matthew 1.1 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, just like Solomon. And in John 1.49, the apostle Nathaniel is describing Jesus and he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So right away in Proverbs, we need to see Solomon as a type of Christ pointing to his future kingship over Israel. So we can't miss what the Bible is about, and that's Jesus Christ. Also in Luke 11, Jesus comes along and he's teaching some people and uh, the Jewish people. And he says, you know, Solomon is great, but something greater than Solomon has come. And he was talking about himself. And if you kind of look at it from the perspective of the listeners, the Jewish people, they knew Solomon as the, the wisest man who had ever lived and one of the greatest kings who had ever lived. And now this guy comes along, Jesus, and says, something greater than Solomon has come. And it was him. That was a pretty scandalous statement for Jesus to make at that time. So Solomon is great, and Jesus is greater than Solomon. And we're going to look at that throughout this whole uh, time we have today. So we've got to talk about Solomon a little bit. It says here that he's the son of David. He's the biological son of David. It doesn't mention his mom, but if you didn't know, his mother is Bathsheba. The same Bathsheba who, uh, the beautiful married woman, was taking a bath on top of her roof of her house. David was walking around his palace on the top and looking down, and he saw her and had her brought to him. They had an adulterous affair. It resulted in a pregnancy. And uh, David tried to cover that up with, with lies and deception and drunkenness and eventually uh, the murder of her husband, Uriah, who was uh, part of David's army. And so then God sends along a prophet to David, pointing out his sin, as God does to us sometimes, right? He points out our sin to us. And there was a result, there was a, there was a consequence for their sin, which was the death of their child, 
And so David repented of his sin. David worshiped the Lord and he was forgiven. And David and Bathsheba had, uh, were married at the time and had another child who was Solomon. So Solomon was their second child. And he grew up in this house of David, looking at his, his father, the king, who had all the ups and downs of leading Israel. He had all of the, you know, strengths and weaknesses of being the king as well. And Solomon got to see all of this. And all at the same time, uh, even beyond the sin of David, Solomon knew that God had called his father a man after God's own heart, a man after his own heart. So Solomon saw this, and, and eventually David was on his deathbed, and he told Solomon how he was supposed to live his life. He said he wanted him to be strong. He wanted him to keep the charge of the Lord. He wanted him to obey the commandments that God had given him. He also told him how God had promised that the, the kingship line of David would continue through Solomon. And he also told him uh, one other thing we're not always familiar with, but I think uh, David pulled him closely a little bit maybe, and he says, by the way, there's two guys that you need to knock off. Uh, there's two guys who caused me a lot of trouble when I was king. They might cause you some trouble, so kill them. So David dies, and the first thing that Solomon does as king, he kills those two guys. The second thing is the thing we most, you know, is, is what we know about Solomon the most is where he went and worshiped the Lord and sacrificed to the Lord, and God came to him in a dream. And basically, in a nutshell, God said to him, I'll give you whatever you want. Ask, and it will be given to you. And so Solomon, after some time talking with, uh, with God, he said, I want wisdom. I want knowledge. I want your wisdom, God. And God was so pleased with that, that he decided to give him wealth, and he decided to give him all the honor in the world as well. So God gives him wisdom that is beyond compare. He gives him wealth beyond compare, and he gives him honor beyond compare. If you look at 1 Kings, you can turn there, chapter 4, verse 29. We're going to talk, we're going to read about Solomon's wisdom. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman. And I'll stop right there. If you're around 30, <laughs> right? Heman, best cartoon ever. A little strange, but awesome cartoon. And now I'm sure it's probably not really that Heman, but, uh, but anyway, I thought it was pretty funny. So <laughs> Solomon was wiser than Heman. I don't think that took very much, though. But anyway, okay. A couple other guys he was smarter than, and it says, And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So Solomon's wisdom was beyond compare. And all of the kings surrounding the nation of Israel sent their wise men to Solomon in order for, for them to become wiser. And they did. God also gave him wealth beyond compare. 1 Kings 10, 14 says that the gold alone that Solomon brought into his bank, his treasury, every year 
The gold, just the gold. We're not talking anything else. 25 tons. 25 tons of gold every year. So God gave him wealth beyond, beyond anything that, that we could ever imagine. He also gave him honor. And God gave him not only honor with the kings around him, but he also gave him the honor of building his own temple, God's temple. And it took about 180,000 men seven years to build, which is quite a long time. Um, upon the completion of the temple, Solomon sacrificed 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. That is quite a worship service to the Lord. And, and just revealing to Solomon, I think, how, how much honor God had allowed him to have. He gave his, the plans for the temple to his father David, but allowed him to build it. But here's the thing. When wisdom and wealth and honor uh, got mixed with Solomon's pride, it led to probably the, the, the most epic downfall uh, in biblical history. And I think that's what can happen to us as well. God gives us gifts. God gives us uh, different abilities. God gives us different opportunities. And sometimes our pride gets mixed in with those and uh, it causes our downfall as well. So Solomon, he decided he wanted a palace. I think, you know, we were not told this, but I, I think Solomon looked out and saw God's temple and said, hey, I want one. So his palace took 13 years to build as opposed to God's seven. And it was about 40% larger than the temple. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a big house, but I think maybe Solomon wanted one for himself after he saw how great the temple of God was. So his palace made the temple look small. The biggest thing, though, that uh, caused the downfall of Solomon uh, were his wives. It says Solomon, um, in 1 Kings 11, if you want to turn there, it says King Solomon loved many foreign wives, foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. They were from all nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. So what happened was these wives, maybe that was his first problem. He had a lot of them. It says he has 700 wives, 300 concubines. Those are pretty much girlfriends. Um, but what they did is they brought worship of other gods into the nation of Israel. And the worship included child sacrifice. And what happened was Solomon ended up building them temples. And Solomon ended up funding the worship of these other gods within the country of Israel. So it says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So Solomon's downfall was not of, you know, losing his wealth. He still had 25 tons of gold coming in every year. It wasn't a downfall of his wisdom, because I, I think he still was writing Proverbs at the time. It wasn't a downfall of his honor, because anybody could look and see his palace. They could see the temple, and, uh, and, and he was honored. But it was a downfall of his heart. It was a heart issue, where something turned his heart away from the true God to serve other gods. So I guess that begs the question of us, is there something that we may not realize, but is there something that's slowly turning our heart away from the Lord? Is there something that we're saying we'd rather do than worship the Lord? Because that's what happened with Solomon. Now, many people believe that uh, 
Solomon repented of this sin, and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says that the pursuits of this life in order to gain our own pleasure are meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. The things of this world that seemingly make us happy for a moment are like chasing after the wind, and they're meaningless. And then at the end of Ecclesiastes, he says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So he says this, fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. I think he came, if you look at your paper at at, uh, Proverbs 1-7, he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we'll look at that in a minute. But then he lived his life being turned away from the true God. But then he came back full circle till, you know, to, you know what? I need to fear the Lord. That's where my wisdom is coming from. And here's the thing. Solomon is great, but Jesus is greater. Jesus said it himself. Jesus had all the wisdom of God because he is God. Solomon had all the wisdom of God, but Jesus lived it out perfectly. And Solomon didn't even come close. So Jesus is a a better Solomon. So all throughout this life of Solomon's, he wrote these 3,000 Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, we have about... Almost a thousand. So we don't even have a one-third of of the Proverbs he wrote. Maybe in heaven he'll tell us a few more. Um, A proverb is simply a short, easy-to-remember wise saying. Solomon wrote about 90% of the book of Proverbs. There's a few other authors, um, but he wrote the majority of it. Um, I think we have in our American language a lot of of Proverbs. And so I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to begin a proverb, you're going to finish it, okay? An apple a day. Absence makes the heart. Actions speak louder. Beauty is in the eye. Beggars can't be. Birds of a feather. Don't cry over. If at first you don't succeed. The pen is mightier. Okay, so most of us, we could do that pretty quickly. My guess is, though, if I wrote down 10 Proverbs from the book of Proverbs, we'd be like, da, 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 I don't know. <laughs> and here's the thing. To the Jewish people, they could do that. They, they were the ones who, those were the Proverbs they knew, and they could stand up there. The guy could repeat the first line. They could repeat the second line, and they'd know it. And here's the difference. Those are the words of God. Not the words of smart American men who make some great-sounding little saying that maybe works. Those are the words of God, but we know more of the words of men than we do the words of God. And I think that's, there's a problem there. So, Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2, he goes on to describe what is the purpose of the Proverbs. Verse 2 says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So we have three things. Wisdom, instruction, and words of insight. The first we'll talk about is wisdom. I want to define wisdom like this, and you can write this down. Wisdom is the God-taught and God-enabled mastery of how to live our lives. The God-taught and God-enabled mastery of how to live our lives. We have to see the totality of our lives in everything that we do through the lens and grid of the wisdom of God. We have to see how we pick our friends how we treat our spouse and kids, how we discipline, how we eat, how we speak, how we joke. It even tells us how to look at people, how we make plans, how we deal with money. And we could go on and on and on. 
So everything, every single area of our life has to be put through the grid of the wisdom of God. And if it's not, we're called foolish. And there's a key to obtaining wisdom that Solomon really doesn't talk about a whole lot, but is revealed to us in Scripture later on. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, we're going to see the key to understanding wisdom. Paul says to the Corinthian people and to us, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. They didn't want a dead Messiah. And folly to the Gentiles who weren't really even looking for the Messiah, but people were telling them they had to worship this dead guy that now they can't see. It was foolishness to them. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. First and foremost. And jump down to verse 30. It says, and because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When we talk about what we know and our great ideas that we have, we're missing it. We're supposed to be talking about what God knows and his ideas, which are a lot different from ours. And if we want true wisdom, if we want to know what wisdom is, we need to know true wisdom, who is Jesus Christ. You can't separate the two. If there's no Jesus, there's no wisdom in your life. Colossians 2, 2 through 3. The Apostle Paul says that he wants the Colossian people and I, all of us as well to understand something. To understand the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Jesus is the embodiment of all the wisdom of God, and he is the, the, the perfect wisdom that Proverbs was pointing to and foreshadowing to come. So Jesus is the one who lived out the wisdom of Proverbs perfectly. There's a pastor and author named Mark Driscoll, and he says that if anyone... Any of us says that we want to be wise. If there's any, been any point in anyone's life where we've said, I want to be wise, I want more wisdom, I want knowledge, I want to understand God, what you're basically saying, whether you know it or not, is you're saying, I want to be like Jesus. So whenever we say we need more wisdom or I need more understanding, you're saying, I want to be more like Jesus. And maybe that could be a talking point with somebody at work or school who says, I just don't understand things. I don't understand people. I don't understand this. Maybe you could say, well, sounds like you're talking about you want some wisdom. Here's where it comes from. It comes from Jesus. Another thing Solomon says that Proverbs are for, to know instruction. Your version might say discipline um, or something else, but instruction or dis- and discipline are the things that change the course of your life. Right? People come and, and give you instruction and discipline you in order to change the way that you're going. That's what we do as parents, right, with our kids. We, we give them instruction and discipline because we see them doing something and we want them to go another way. And if we're searching through the Proverbs, what it's going to do is tell us, here's what you need to change. But you know what it does? It leaves it up to us with the Holy Spirit to know how to change it. It gives us a timeless principle, but it doesn't always give us a prescription. 
It doesn't always give us four points of how to do it. It says, here's the principle. Figure out in your life, in your context, with God's help, in your culture, how you're supposed to change. Hebrews says that the word of God is like a two-edged sword, right? It judges the thoughts and actions of our mind. And I kind of look at Proverbs as the little dagger. That if you read like one chapter, you know, it's all these short little wise sayings. It's going to stab you like 30 times. And it's gonna, it is going to cause you to think about, oh, man, I've got to change that. And then you'll be like, stabbed again. Oh, I've got to change that. So let's read a few of them. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion or friend of fools will suffer harm. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So husbands, what do you want to bring home after your hard day at work? Or what do you want to bring home when your team loses? Or when the car breaks down on the side of the road, when you want to bring home hot-tempered strife or quiet contention? Proverbs tells us a hot-tempered man doesn't do any good. But we got to figure out what causes our hot-temperedness. Now, women, you're not going to get off too easy. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's hand. So, women, you can be like water torture to your husband. Or to your kids. So how are you torturing them? Proverbs isn't telling you how you're torturing them because only you know. Well, husband and your kids know. So on the way home, this will be great. On the way home, you can nudge each other in the car, right? But you don't tell them what's wrong with them. You say, honey, what do I get hot-tempered at? When do I bring strife? And then, honey... Please tell me where I argue with you too much and what makes me like water torture. (laughs) Do you give each other the freedom to be honest and not get angry? Then, husbands, take your wives out for lunch (laughs) or to a graduation party. It's cheaper. (laughs) Then you talk about money. And that would cause strife. No, I don't know. All right. The next thing Proverbs does for us, it helps us understand words of insight. Proverbs 9.10 defines insight. It says, insight is the knowledge of the Holy One. So Proverbs teaches us the knowledge of God. Proverbs is about God. It's not about you. It's about the knowledge of God. And if we want to have the knowledge of God, again, we have to understand wisdom who is Jesus Christ. It's the same key to understanding words of insight and wisdom. It's Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says the natural person, that's the person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're operating out of their own wisdom and their own ideas, and they think that they have things pretty well figured out. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual, spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. 
For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what he's saying is that those of us who are Christians have the mind of Christ. We can understand the things of God. We can understand the knowledge of God now. All of us. So we're operating out of something different. We have a God-enabled, Jesus-like mind that can understand the things of God. So what Proverbs does is it helps us gain insight into the knowledge of how God wants us to work out our everyday life. So we'll read a proverb and we'll say, that's how you want me to live it. And God is like, yes, that's what it does. That wisdom didn't start when he gave it to Solomon. It started way back when. He's always had the knowledge and he now is giving it to us. Proverbs says, hear, O sons of fathers, instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. Get wisdom, get insight, and do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. So if insight is the knowledge of God, the thing is that is supposed to be our most intimate friend is the knowledge of God, God, Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. He's the thing we're supposed to get if we're going to get wisdom. It doesn't start by just reading Proverbs. So the next thing that Proverbs does for us is help us uh, receive instruction in four areas. In verse 3, it says, Wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity. Wise dealing, that's basically what I would say is a junk drawer term that we can throw everything in our life into and we need to deal with it wisely. As Christians, we don't have places in, in where we say, I'm going to deal wisely over here how God would want me to, and I'm going to deal wisely over here because I think I have it figured out. When in reality, the truth is we probably both have both. And so he's saying, Proverbs will give you instruction on dealing wisely in all areas. And it will. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A fool gives full vent to his spirit or anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. So there's a lot of verses about being wise in in Proverbs. So when you read through the book of Proverbs, okay, 31 days, 31 chapters, the first time you read through it, I want you to mark every time it says wise. Just underline the word wise. And it usually the next line will say something about a fool. And I want you to just, Say, do I want to be wise or do I want to be a fool? And I think it'll be an easy answer. We also need instruction in righteousness, it says. And Proverbs helps us with that. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So once again, something Proverbs instructs us on, righteousness, you cannot escape Jesus Christ in understanding it. It's so closely linked to Jesus Christ because we're given his righteousness. At the moment we put our faith in Christ, it says that our sin and the punishment for our sin was placed on Jesus and his righteousness was given to us. We cannot work for righteousness. We cannot read enough to become righteous. We can't muster up righteousness and become good for a little bit. It's only understanding God's given or imputed righteousness to us. And then we start reading what Proverbs says about righteousness and we'll begin to understand it through Jesus. 
And we'll begin to look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels and say, oh, that's how he did it. And then we'll probably hear the Holy Spirit say, I'm going to give you the same power to do it. You can't do it on your own. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't be righteous apart from Jesus. Can't try hard enough. It's not going to work. Because most of the time, the more you try, the more it doesn't work. And the more God points out to you, you can't do this on your own. The third and fourth areas that the book of Proverbs will give us instruction in are justice and equity. Um, We're told in Scripture that God deals with people justly and judges people with equity. Micah 6.8 says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God? And justice and equity are, are words that are real closely related to basically dealing with people, all different kinds of people, and doing what's right for them in every situation. And if wisdom is the God-enabled mastery of how to live our lives, this is probably one of the hardest areas of our life to master because we deal with so many different kinds of people. Our family, friends, our enemies, rich people, poor people, our neighbors, homeless people, loud people, dumb people, smart people, stupid people. There are some. But we deal with them all. And what our flesh wants to do, our own great idea is, I'm not going to deal with those kind of people because I can't deal with them. That's a personality I don't like. But God says, no, 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 wait. I can help you in justice and equity and dealing with those kind of people. I'll help you love them. You may not have to like them, but I'm going to help you love them and I'm going to show you how to deal with them. So that's a, that's a hard one to master. But also, I think very practically, the two words, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, can you define for me justice and equity? Those are ones that I'm pulling out my dictionary. You know, those are hard ones to just kind of figure, well, I don't know, really? And so I want to read a couple verses. Proverbs chapter 2, if you want to turn the page. Hopefully this will inspire us to begin to figure out justice and equity. My son, verse 1 of chapter 2, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. There it is. Okay, so, so... If you receive God's words, if you make your ear attentive to him, to his wisdom, to Jesus Christ, if you call out for wisdom, for insight, 
If you seek it and search for it as hidden treasures and realize that it comes from God, not from your own brain or from another book or from another person, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. The next few verses in chapter 1 answer the question, who are the Proverbs written for? They're written for four groups of people. The simple, the young, the wise, and the understanding. Let's talk about the simple a little bit. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Proverbs 14, 15. Um, In addition to Proverbs contrasting and comparing the fool and the wise, it also does the prudent and the simple. The simple person is that person who believes you when you say the word gullible is not in the dictionary. Okay? The simple person is the kid in school. We all had the one where you could tell them to do anything and they would do it. You know, stick your tongue to that pole. It's cold, but you'll be fine. You're going to warm it up with your tongue. And they do it, right? It's that person. He'll do anything. The simple is a person who watches every infomercial and buys everything thinking it's going to make them thinner and better and cook better and never need another pot again, right? I like infomercials so I can make one of myself. There's also simple people within the church community in relation to God's word. What, what simple people, that's a nice word for it, by the way, simple. Simple people within the Christian community will turn on a TV or a radio and listen to anybody that has the word pastor before their name or listens to anybody who says they talk about spirit or spiritual things. And they, they won't look at the scripture and gauge it against God's word. They'll just say, oh, pastor, talking about spiritual stuff. Whew, awesome. Okay? That's pretty dumb. That's not so nice word for simple. Dumb. It's a dumb way to learn God's word. If you're watching a pastor on TV, if you are listening to anyone talking about anything spiritual, you better bring your Bible out. Or you're dumb. Or you're a fool. Simple. But here's the hope. The hope in Proverbs is that simple people can become wise. They can become prudent. And I think, again, the next time you read through the book of Proverbs, the next month of 31 days, underline everywhere it says prudent and simple and say, which one do I want to be? Again, an easy answer. Probably the prudent. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are, are crowned with knowledge. I think we want to be the prudent and not the simple. But there is hope for those of us who are simple. The next group of people that Proverbs affects is young people. And this is really the group of people uh, who the Proverbs are written for. About 20 or 30 times Solomon says, my son, and addresses him and says, my son, listen to me, my son, keep my words, my son, hear me, and your mother. Okay? He does. And, and here's the thing. That gives me some hope. Right? Because if Solomon, the wisest man in the world, couldn't just speak one word and his kids would obey, then that gives me hope. I'm doing all right. If I got to keep on saying it. But here's the thing. In America, an adult is what, 18? You know, you can vote. You go to war. What if, what if, just for instance, if we, from the time our kids could speak a word, started teaching them the Proverbs. Till the time they're 18, 
I think we'd have a lot more confidence when we open the car door and they get out and go to college. Instead of sending them off with an apple a day, we'll keep the doctor away, son. You know that one, right? But again, we know more of pithy little American sayings than we do God's sayings. I want you to think of someone who is wise. Someone who is wise in your life. A real person that you know, not just Solomon. But think of someone wise. That's the next group of people that Proverbs talks about. A wise person, they're able to take the wisdom of God who is Jesus and his words and and apply them to every area of their life. And these are the people that we love to hate, right? The people that we look at and they're like, they got it. How do they do that? They got it all together. Okay, they don't, first of all, have it all together. But it just got, God's given them a gift of wisdom where they can read his word, understand it, understand Jesus, obey it and do it. And that's just how it goes. And I think what God wants us to do with those people is seek them out. Okay? Because they don't want to share their wisdom all the time because they don't want to be looked at like that know-it-all person. But God says, humble yourself and he will lift you up in due time. And he might be lifting you up through somebody else. So think of a person who might be wise in understanding God's words. Somebody who might be wise in raising their kids, wise in dealing with money and seek them out and say, help me, I'm simple. And they're like, you're weird, simple. I'm dumb, I I don't know anything. Be nice to yourself, call yourself simple, okay? That's what we do with wise people. Wisdom is like one of those those gifts that God gives that's like itching to come out of people. And so if you know these people, go ask them because they want to help and they'll give you more information than you ever want. But it takes humility. The next group of people in verse five are those who understand but need guidance. So some of us, we understand God, we have wisdom, we understand Jesus, we, we can read it and get it, and it's all up here, but we don't know what to do with it. You know, we've been like that soaking sponge every Sunday, and you, you know so much, but some of you are just waiting for it to come out, but you do, don't know what to do with it. What do I do with all this knowledge, okay? I know about Jesus, I know about the Bible, I know this, but I don't know what to do with it. Proverbs will help those people figure out what to do with it. Take your wisdom and give it to somebody else is basically what it's going to tell you. In verse 6, it's kind of a continuation of verse 5, and it's talking about the wise and understanding people. And it says that they will understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. All that means is someone who's wise or becomes wise, reads Proverbs, listens, they'll listen to someone else who is wise, and they'll understand what they're saying. You know, have you ever had that happen? Like, you've heard somebody talk a million times, and then one time you just get it, and you're like, now I know what they're talking about. Proverbs will help you do that a little quicker. It will help you understand what wise people are saying, and it also will help you judge what people who aren't very wise, who want to look wise, are saying. And you'll be like, that isn't very wise. That's dumb. You're simple, and I'll never listen to you again. (laughs) So it'll help us understand other people. You know, it's like that person in your small group that you, whenever they talk, you're just like, I don't, what are they talking about? Right? We all have one. All right. Verse 7, this is probably like the one proverb we all know. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This side knows. Okay. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. All of wisdom, all the knowledge, all the instruction that Proverbs talk about, we're not going to get this wisdom by reading another good book 
or trying to figure it out ourselves or, or, or thinking about our own ideas. It's not even going to start by reading the book of Proverbs. Where it's going to start is fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord is basically understanding that God is God and you are not. If, if, if we are the type who hears something about God and we say, God would never say that. God wouldn't allow that to happen. God wouldn't do that. Why did God act that way? He shouldn't do that. You're putting your own ideas above God and saying, I'm God. He's not very smart. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord doesn't happen when we begin to think for ourselves. A lot of us parents want our kids to think for themselves, right? No, we don't. Okay? The wisdom starts when we look at the thoughts and the ways of God that Isaiah says are nothing like our own. We want them to think not for themselves, think from God and his wisdom, not think for themselves. That's a scary thought if we all thought for ourselves, you know, doing everything that's right in our own eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all who practice it have good understanding. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And the fear of the Lord, this is interesting, is the opposite of the envy we have for sinful men. Sometimes we, we put the praise of men over our fear of God. We fear people over fearing God. And those people then become God and the ones we try to please. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. It's a fountain of life and it leads to life. In, in the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is the place where we start to get wisdom. It's not trying to figure it out on our own. It's understanding God is God and we're not. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. If any of you lacks wisdom, I think we all lack wisdom um, in one area or the other. And he might want to use, well, I know he wants to use his word to teach you, but maybe he wants to use someone else too to instruct you and discipline you in a different way and show you God's wisdom that, they, that God has, been, has given to them. So a couple questions. Do you want to be wise or, or be a fool? Prudent or simple? That's an easy, easy answer, easy A right there. I want to be wise. But here's the thing. If you want to be wise, you want to be like Jesus, right? If you want to have wisdom, do you have Jesus is the question. Have you realized that you need to turn from the sin that was put on him in the cro- on the cross and put your faith in him who's the only way and the truth and the life and no man, no one comes to the Father. No one has the wisdom of God except through him. Next, do you fear the Lord as you should? I know that I don't. After studying this, I know that I don't. Do we wake up and realize we got to do it God's way and realize every day, no matter how much we think we have it figured out, we don't. And we need to go to God for his wisdom. The last thing, are you asking God for wisdom? He says he'll give it. If we're not asking for wisdom, we're not going to get wisdom. And when we ask, are you asking for selfish reasons or are you, just, are you asking in faith without doubting, knowing that God's going to give you wisdom? So let me pray and ask us, ask God for wisdom for all of us. Father, I just thank you for the wisdom of your word. I thank you for Jesus Christ, who is your wisdom. And I thank you that the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of wisdom and that you've given him to us who believe. Lord, help us to know Jesus Christ more. Help us to love him more. 
Help us to fear you with a reverent awe, not in terror, but in realizing who you are and who we are not. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I pray that you will help continually uh, us to be always filled with your wisdom in every circumstance. And Lord, especially when we're dealing with other people, give us wisdom. Help us to um, master living our life as only your son Jesus could. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.